Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. All right, pray with me. Lord, would you now, by your Holy Spirit, give me the power to do what I cannot do on my own, which is preach the Word of God. Would you open the hearts of my brothers and sisters here in this sanctuary, but also those who are joining from the live stream, the children and the youth also open our hearts, not to me first and foremost, but Jesus to you, that we would hear from you today a word of mercy, also a word of exhortation calling us up and forward into the lives that you have for us. And would you make us a merciful people reflecting your own image? We pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you or, or your bulletin there, you can uh, turn in your Bible or flip in the program, the bulletin to Matthew 9. We'll be meditating on our gospel passage this morning, the call of Matthew the tax collector. And it's a story with Matthew. We might say he's the good guy, the Pharisees, the bad guys, Jesus, the God guy. Um, and when it comes to Pharisees, I once knew a modern-day Pharisee. Back in high school, there was, a, there was a, a young man in high school who was full of the zeal of the Lord, um, and, and he, he did a lot of good for Jesus, but there, he also at times just was obnoxiously self-righteous. Um, I actually knew this guy in college, too, uh, and in college, he was also a Pharisee in that the Pharisees were, were known to be hypocrites. They would say one thing, or they, they pretended to be really upright in, in certain ways, but in other really key heart ways, they were disobedient, and they did not know the Lord or follow him. And this guy was a hypocrite. He was self-righteous at times. He was a hypocrite at others. And of course, by now you've figured out who I'm talking about. Um, that was me. At times in high school, self-righteous, and then in college, there was a season where I was in a relationship before I met the woman who's now my wife, and I know we've got children who are also listening in, so I'll spare you the details, but those of you who know can guess what the nature of, of my disobedience was. In a relationship where I was sure that this was going to be the woman I was going to marry, thought God's blessing was on it, yet I entered into a season of disobedience. We entered into a season of disobedience all while I was studying the Bible and thinking someday that I would be a pastor. That's hypocrisy, blindness. And I will never forget the season when all of that came crashing down, the relationship ended, and yes, there was heartache related to it, but also then my eyes were open to my sin and the ways that I had flaunted God's law where I decided that his laws, or at least certain of his laws, did not apply to me. And that I was okay to do what I wanted and, and not live in, in obedience to him. And, and in that hypocrisy, when that was revealed, that was truly the lowest point of my life. And, and complete contrition and repentance, it's also when I knew the, the tender mercy of the Lord in a beautiful way. In fact, um, I, I thought because of what I had done, I thought I disqualified myself from any meaningful life in, in ministry, which had been 
my plan. That's what I thought I was going to do. And I thought I had just disqualified myself. And telling a friend uh, one day, I said, I feel like I'm a bug wrapped up in a spider's web that my life is over and I'm just waiting to become and dev- to, to be devoured by some um, spider, you know. A few days after that, somebody invited me to a prayer meeting. It was a let's listen to the Holy Spirit kind of prayer meeting. And there I received prayer from, from two people who had no idea what was going on in my life. And the young woman who first prayed for me, she, she said, well, Brett, I have a picture of your heart and it's covered in a cobweb. And immediately I resonated, of course. That is, that's exactly how I felt. She said, I also see the finger of God moving towards your heart. And inwardly I, I thought, yeah, to smite this wretched sinner. And she said, I see the finger of God gently rubbing around the outside of your heart, restoring your heart, taking away that cobweb. Because it had been a genuine question in my mind at the time, would God have mercy on me? Up here I knew the answer was yes, he forgives anyone who's truly repentant. But I didn't know it here. And in receiving that prophetic image, God was saying, yes, Brett, even for what you've done, because you've repented, I am having mercy on you. I will restore you. I will forgive you. And the Lord had mercy on a Pharisee like me. In our story today, Matthew is a big old sinner. He's done some wrong things in his life. But whether you're a big old sinner like Matthew, the tax collector, and the other sinners who gather with him to party with Jesus, or whether you're a Pharisee like I was, the good news today is that God's mercy is for everyone, for those who repent. So we're going to talk about God's wonderful mercy today. And sometimes it's an offensive mercy because we think those big old sinners over there, they don't deserve God's mercy. Or those hypocritical, self-righteous Pharisees over there, they don't deserve God's mercy. And Jesus is here to say, whether you're a big old sinner or whether you're a self-righteous Pharisee, whether you're blue or red, Democrat or Republican, I'm here to offer mercy to both sides, whoever will take it, whoever will repent. So let's talk about the mercy of God. Let's take a look at our passage today. So Jesus is going on from he had just healed the paralytic and told this man, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees did not like that. Um, he's moving on from there. Likely he's still in the same town, Capernaum where this next scene unfolds. He walks by Matthew, the tax collector. He sees him at the tax collector booth, and he says to him, come, follow me. Leave that life. I will disciple you into a better way. In no way denying the sinfulness of what Matthew had done in the life that he was living, but simply saying, from now on, like he said to Peter, Peter, follow me. Peter said, Remember after a miraculous catch of fish, Peter said, oh, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus responded to Peter similarly, drop your nets, follow me. From now on, you'll be catching men, not fish. Jesus has this from now on way about him. Yes, I know your past. I'm not unaware of your sin and what you've done, but I will disciple you into a better way. I will help you grow in the way of holiness. So he says, follow me, Matthew at once changes his life. He leaves his tax collector booth, which is symbolic. He leaves behind the former life. He follows Jesus, and the first thing he says is, let's throw a party. And he invites his other tax collector friends. It says there in verse 10, tax collectors and sinners, which is code for other big old sinners, people who had done the really bad stuff. 
In other places in the Gospel of Matthew, as well as in the other Gospels, we see the pairing of tax collectors and prostitutes. Here it's tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes. It's kind of synonymous. So it's giving us an idea of who it is that's gathering together with Matthew at his house to eat with Jesus. So there they are, verse 11. Now the Pharisees saw this and they said to Jesus' disciples, why is your teacher eating with them? The Pharisees, those who had a reputation of being scrupulous in following the law. Yes, the law of Moses, but also they had this whole other body of laws, what Jesus really took them to task for. He says, you follow the traditions of men, the commandments of men. And he's referring at that point to the the body of other traditions and commands that they were very scrupulous about following. And part of Jesus' part of his indictment against the Pharisees is saying, you're so caught up in trying to follow these outward religious commands and rules over here that it's even causing you to misinterpret, misunderstand, and miss the point of the law of Moses, which, of course, Jesus never speaks against. He never speaks against the law of Moses. He only ever upholds it. But the Pharisees, the point is they had a reputation for being those who were scrupulous in the outward religious observances, but Jesus said, you've missed the heart. You've missed the heart. You've missed God's heart. So the Pharisees are looking on. They're saying, hey, this is a good rabbi. He's doing good things. We think he's, he's after the righteousness of the kingdom like we are. We, we have the same goals in mind, don't we? But then why is he doing something we would never do? Why is he eating with them? And so it brings us to the heart of the passage. Jesus' response to them is he says, those who are well have no need of a, of a doctor, but those who are sick. Again, he's acknowledging there's a sickness here. Yeah, Matthew was sick. He was sinning. He was living in disobedience. His disobedience had real life consequences for the people around him. I am not denying that. But what I'm saying, Jesus said, is you can understand part of my mission by thinking of me as like a doctor for the soul. And I've come to help those who are sick. But those who don't think that they're sick, I can't help them. And he says, go and learn what this means. And here's the heart of the passage. He's quoting from Hosea. Same passage we had read just a minute ago. And and he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I have not come to call the righteous those who think they're righteous, those who don't know that they're actually sick. Instead, I've I've come to call sinners. I've come for the sick. And so in that quoting Hosea, in Hosea, the prophet is saying, God doesn't care about burnt offerings and the outward religious rituals, the things that the Pharisees were so caught up on. God doesn't care about that if you're missing the heart, which is steadfast love and faithfulness and knowledge of God, Hosea says. So Jesus is saying, look, what I want you to do is to know God and to love him and to have this heart of love for God and out of the overflow of that, then to have that same heart of love for others, which is first and foremost a merciful heart. Yes, we know, even as we read in the psalm, that God is the righteous judge. Amen, he is. And at the end, he will come and bring judgment. But judgment comes at the end after refusal upon refusal upon refusal to receive the mercy of God. With God, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy always goes first. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, what I wanted you to do was I wanted you to see 
with mercy first. Yes, they're sick. You should have compassion on them. These are the very people that you as the religious leaders should be caring for and trying to make them well. Not to judge and to push them away, but to actually bring them in near. You should have been the one saying, let me disciple you into a better way. So Jesus is revealing this, this merciful heart of God to say, when I enter a situation, when I look at a person, when I look at you, I see with the eyes of mercy first. I offer mercy first. And only if you refuse me over and over and over again, then will you know my judgment. But it's mercy first. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, that's not how you've been seeing the tax collectors and the sinners. But it's how I see them. And it reveals the offensively merciful heart of God. So when we come to this story, I, I do need to back up a little bit almost and, and say it, it's helpful for us, or actually what's unhelpful, there's a problem. When we come to the story initially, and maybe this happened for you as you were hearing it read or as we began to walk it through, in our minds, I even said this at the beginning, who's the good guy in this story besides Jesus? Who's the good guy? Well, Matthew's the good guy. Matthew's the good guy. We like Matthew. We are trained and preconditioned to not like the Pharisees. Oh, they're religious people. They're an authority. Which, let me tell you, as a religious person in authority, Americans typically don't like us. Okay? Who do Americans like? We like the underdog. So we read this story and we like Matthew. Oh, poor Matthew. Ah, he's on the margins of society. Nobody likes him. He's an outcast. My heart goes out to Matthew. That's our first inclination when we read the story, and you just need to stop doing that, okay? Stop liking Matthew. It is unhelpful to understand the story. Matthew actually is the bad guy at the beginning of this. And if your heart goes out to the marginalized, don't do that, for Matthew at least. He wasn't the marginalized. He was the man. He was the one taking from others. So let me paint a picture for you. Matthew is the guy who just last week told your brother, Hey, you, do, you don't have the money that you owe for the taxes. Bring it back in one week, or I will have to order the Roman authorities, which the Jewish tax collectors had authority to do this. I will order the Roman soldiers to confiscate your fields. And your brother is saying, but if I don't have my fields, how am I going to produce? Then, then I'll never have the money to pay you. And, and Matthew is the one standing behind his booth saying, that's not my problem. That's your problem. That's your job. My job is to tell you how much you owe. And of course, he's taking a little bit off the top for himself all along the way. He just did that to your brother last week. And this is the one that Jesus is saying, follow me. Or consider, imagine this scenario. You're a woman who sees Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Some prostitutes were driven to prostitution because they were desperate. They had no other choice. But not every single prostitute was that way. Some said, well, I can seduce men. Uh, it's an easy way to make a lot of money, and I have no moral qualms about it. So imagine that you're a woman. You see Jesus eating with the woman that your husband had cheated on you with. And you're, you're saying, wait, Rabbi, I don't understand this. That woman cost me everything. She took everything from me. And now you're sitting down with her. Don't, I don't understand that. Help me understand that, Rabbi. And until we can get offended with the Pharisees 
or the other people looking on and, and truly wondering, wait, what is he doing? Then we actually lose the full impact of the story. Where we see that the mercy of God, that is actually an offensive mercy. It'll go after anybody, no matter where they are, no matter what they've done. And Jesus would say to you, saying, how can you sit down with this woman? And Jesus would say, this is a from now on moment for her. Yeah, she, she did those things. Her life is changing. Your life can change too. Would you follow me? I'll disciple you. I'll disciple you into the way of mercy. A mercy you could not believe on your own. You could not have on your own. You couldn't understand on your own. So let's take a look more particularly at how Jesus shows mercy to Matthew. So again, back at verse 9, Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man. He saw a man. Jesus saw a man where the Pharisees saw a past. The Pharisees saw a problem. The Pharisees saw, you're doing the wrong things right now. That's what the Pharisees saw. Jesus saw through his past, and again, not unaware of what Matthew had done. He saw through the past, he saw through the mess, and he saw a man. He saw through the past, he saw a person. So the first mercy that Jesus gives to Matthew is this seeing. I see you, and I know that you, more, that you are more than your past. I know that you're more than the wrong things, the sum of wrong things that you've done. And I see my glory on you. I see you as you will be in glory someday when you are finished and complete. And that's how Jesus looks on you this morning. You've got to know that when he looks at you, you might be thinking of all the current trouble that you've got right now. The, the, the habits that you can't get under control. The deeper sins that you can't seem to shake. All your shortcomings. All your weaknesses. When you look in the mirror, that's the first thing you see. And you assume that's what others see when they look at you. And you assume that's what God sees when he looks at you. And Jesus is teaching us something right here. He's telling you this morning, no, when I look at you, I, I'm not unaware of the mess, but I see the man. I see the woman. I see who you are, and I look with the eyes of mercy. I also see who you will be when you're complete. When I've finished my work in you, and when I've made you completely like me to reflect my own glory. And I tell you what, we can help each other out in a big way on this, when we start to see one another with the eyes of mercy, right? Because we, we, we feel that way. We feel the judgment of others. We feel the judgment of God, in part because that's the devil. He's playing with us, but in part because we've actually experienced that, haven't we? We've experienced those side comments, or we've seen those, those looks, or we've, we've seen the questioning, hey, you're not supposed to be doing that right now. We've known what it's like to be judged by our outward behavior first and have people see us not as the person, but just see us by all the things that we're doing wrong. And we can help each other out in a big way by seeing one another with eyes of mercy first. It's the same way that, that God saw me that day when he said, your heart is wrapped up in a spider's web, but I'm, I'm actually going to restore your heart and move, your, move it away. What he, what he was doing that day, in that moment, with that prophetic image, is he was saying, Brett, I see you. I know the questions you're asking, and I've come to meet you right there. So God sees you, and he sees you with the eyes of mercy. And could we do that 
for one another. So how, how are you viewing others? Does mercy lead the way in your vision? Do you see as Jesus does, or do you see more as the Pharisees see? You're looking for the outward appearances. So the people in your life, do you see their problems first? Do you focus on what's wrong or all the ways that they're still falling short? Tell you what, as a parent of young children, it's very easy to see all the ways they're still falling short. And yes, it's partly my job to to correct them and help them to grow up, but you know what happens if all you do is bring correction, you're going to exasperate them. You're going to wear them out. Do you do that with others? Do you only come to them with a critical lens or do you come with a lens of mercy first? Do you lead with mercy? How do you look at those who don't have it all together? How do you handle other people's mistakes and their weaknesses? Oh, we can help each other out so much by looking with eyes of mercy. So first thing that Jesus does to extend mercy to Matthew is he sees him. He sees a man, not the mess. He sees a person and not his past or his problems. The second thing that Jesus does is he sees him, but then he calls him to himself. He says, follow me. He draws him to himself. So with those around you, first step is see them with mercy, but the next step is to draw them into yourself. And yeah, if you're more mature, a little further along in the journey than they are, disciple them. Say to them what Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, I'll show you a better way to live. Because we're not pretending that we don't see people's shortcomings. That's actually a gift. When you can see where a person needs to grow. What an amazing gift. Because now you're in a position to actually help them. This is especially true for those who are not as far along in the faith as you. It's why God makes a church generational. So that those who are in the next phase of life can help those who are just behind them. Those who have been walking with the Lord for decades can take the hand of those who are newer in the faith and say, I will disciple you. I will show you a better way. It begins by seeing with the eyes of mercy, but then the next step is draw them to yourself. Be in their life. Be invested. Say, follow me. I'll show you a few things. So Matthew probably knew Jesus. This is all happening in the vicinity of Capernaum, which earlier in the gospel we find out is Jesus' headquarters in Galilee. He moves on from Nazareth. He makes his headquarters in Capernaum. This is where Matthew is stationed. And this is the ninth chapter of the gospel already. Jesus has been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's healing every disease and affliction. He's preaching to large crowds. The Sermon on the Mount, it's already happened. So there's a good chance that Matthew is very aware of who Jesus the rabbi is. Maybe Matthew was even up there on the hillside during the Sermon on the Mount, hearing Jesus say things like, do to others what you would want them to do to you. Or store up your treasures in heaven, not on earth. And maybe Matthew was there, his heart was stirred, and he was saying, that's not how I'm living right now, but I want that. Maybe he went down from the mountain and said, but it's probably too late for me, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. So imagine his shock when the same rabbi shows up at his booth a little later, points to him and says, you, yeah, you follow me. Who, me? Yes, you. I have a plan for you. You may think you're disqualified. I want to show you all the ways that I'm going to qualify you. 
to follow after me. So this morning, are there ways that you feel disqualified? How is COVID and especially those early months of the quarantine, how were they for you? I, I, for some people, it didn't, didn't phase them too much. For other people, they took some pretty deep dives. And maybe you're still recovering from those deep dives. Whether it was a deep dive of depression and loneliness, maybe it was a deep dive into sins that have a hold on you now. And you're saying, I'm disqualified. I'm disqualified. I shouldn't even be in this church. And there's a little voice that when you would tune in to watch a service on Sunday morning or think about coming, there's a voice that says, yeah, but you're disqualified. You don't belong there. That's the devil. What Jesus would say to you is, come follow me. I want to disciple you out of those sins, out of those habits. Yes, I'm not unaware of them. I see them. Would you believe that for you today is a from now on kind of moment? Would you believe that Jesus wants to change and transform your life? Or maybe you, you have the problem that I had at, at different points and still will at, at other points of being a Pharisee, thinking I don't need mercy. Well, for you too, there's hope this morning. That doesn't disqualify you either. If you've done everything right and you're straight-laced, goody-two-shoes, well, you're not disqualified either. Jesus can disciple you into a better way as well. So whatever that list of here are the reasons why I'm disqualified, just know that Jesus takes those and just dumps them right in the trash. They mean nothing to him. Other than that, yeah, we're going to go to work on that. And so similarly, how does that change the way we view others? Do we disqualify or write off others? Or can we say, come nearer to me, I'll disciple you into a better way. Do we have a hopeful vision of transformation for those around us, which gets to the final mercy. So the first mercy, Jesus sees Matthew. The second mercy is he calls him to himself. And then the third mercy that we see Jesus give to Matthew is he transforms him. He changes his life. And this is perhaps the most surprising thing at all because we read this, this passage the last verse, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And if we're not careful, we can misunderstand Jesus at a very important point here. If we're not careful, we might think that Jesus is saying, I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about holiness. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I don't want you to think that you're righteous on your own. I need you to know that every single one of you is sick with a sickness that only I can cure. But all we have to do is read around the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, let alone the rest of the Bible, to understand the central importance of righteousness. That God calls us to a holy life. He calls us to righteousness. So what's perhaps surprising is in this story, who does Jesus call? The righteous or the unrighteous? Well, in this story, he calls the unrighteous. But what does he call them to? He calls them to a life of righteousness. He calls them to transformation, to holiness. Follow me. I will disciple you into what? Into righteousness. And of course that makes sense. Jesus doesn't want him to stay. He has so much mercy on Matthew and on you and me. He doesn't want us to stay right as we are. He wants us to change into holiness and righteousness. And so when he got a hold of me, Yes, that was the low point of my life. And he did say, okay, Brett, next time around, 
are you going to are you going to do this my way? Are you going to believe that all of the Bible applies to you and not just the parts that seem convenient at the time? Next time you're in a relationship, are you going to go my way or not? And I had a choice. And after receiving the deep mercy and the forgiveness of God, I said, I want to go your way. And I did, and it was good. So the third mercy that Jesus gives to Matthew is he says, I I give you the mercy of transformation, of true righteousness and holiness in me. Yes, he calls Matthew sick, but what do the sick want? They want to be well. And oh, that we would live lives, that we would live lives of the kind of righteousness that would be appealing to others. Not the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. See, that was their problem. They thought they were more righteous than others on their own. But that we would live lives of true righteousness, that for its purity and its strength of holiness would be appealing to others. So that people who see us, people who know us, would want that in the same way that a hungry man wants food or a dirty man wants a bath. An unrighteous man or woman would say, I actually want the cleanness that I see in you. And we could say what? Follow me. I'll show you the way to do it. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Right? Doesn't Paul say the same thing? And so not only are we called into righteousness, but as Christians, as you're discipling others, part of how you're discipling them, yes, you're giving them grace when they've messed up and you're saying, God sees you and not your sin. But then the next step is you're saying, and now let's work on this together. I want to disciple you into the way of righteousness. I want you to walk into holiness. So do you have the courage to call others into righteousness? The last thing we'll say on this, it does require leaving the tax collector's booth. To walk in the way of righteousness requires sacrifice. It requires leaving things behind. It requires making such radical changes that enable you then to to walk in righteousness. And again, this is all part of how Jesus does it. He doesn't call him into righteousness and leave him exactly where he is. He calls him into righteousness by saying, leave the tax collector's booth. And so if there are those deep sins, things you've been caught in, stuck in, well, part of what you need along with other people helping you is you need to say, all right, Jesus, what does it mean for me to leave the tax collector's booth? What extreme measures do I need to take to leave this old life and to leave the place where I'm tempted to sin? What things do I need to cut off? Get out of my life. That's why alcoholics only get free when they take a very extreme measure and they say, no, I, I can't even do just the casual drink after work. It's got to be zero tolerance. No drinks. You're struggling with stuff on the internet. There's got to be a way in which you're extremely limiting yourself. Things that would look absurd to the outside viewer. Wait, you're going to go that? Yeah. No internet for me in my home, you might say. Or I'm going to get an old dumb phone. I'm going to get one of those phones that you actually can't even access the internet. Those exist? Yeah, they exist. I'm going to go to extreme measures because part of the mercy I've received from the Lord is the mercy to pursue righteousness, true righteousness. So this morning, as Jesus has met us in the Word It may be that you are are just needing to receive in a a new way the mercy of God. 
and just to be washed again in his mercy and to know that it's for you. To know that Jesus sees you as you are. He doesn't see you according to your past or your current problems even. That Jesus is a from now on kind of rabbi and you need to receive the mercy of the Lord. But as you receive his mercy, it may be also that he's, he's putting his finger on, on your heart and he's saying, now I want you to look upon others with mercy. And maybe the transformation for you this morning is, is to say, okay, Jesus, I've received your mercy, but man, I have not been giving it to others. Please forgive me and help me to live mercifully toward others. Or it may be this morning that as we see that Jesus does, in fact, in his own way, call us to a true righteousness, there needs to be a, a renewed sense of, okay, Jesus, I want to pursue the way of righteousness. I want to be discipled by you. I know that that's the next thing after receiving mercy and forgiveness, pursuing you into holiness. And I want that whatever the cost, whatever tax collector booth, tax collector booth I need to leave behind, I will do it. So let's just take a, a minute now, quiet your hearts, close your eyes even. And I encourage you to do this if you're watching from the live stream as well. The Lord is with you there. How's the Lord speaking to you? Where is he stirring your heart? Where is he placing his finger on your need to receive mercy, to become more merciful, maybe to, to renew your commitment to pursuing righteousness, whatever the cost? How is he speaking to you? What is he bringing to light? Jesus, we place ourselves in your hands. You are a trustworthy rabbi. We love you because you, you do lead with mercy. We love the ways you've looked on us with mercy. We can look back on our lives and we can point to the times and the seasons and those days where your mercy was real and it changed us. So we thank you for all that's passed. And we pray that we would receive even now as a new infilling of your mercy, a new washing and cleansing. Wash our sins. Cleanse them away. Give us the freedom that comes from knowing your mercy. And Lord, make us merciful. Make us a merciful people who run in the path of your commands, who pursue your righteousness no matter the cost and the sacrifice, and do so in a way that invite others in rather than push them away. Oh, Jesus, we, we want to be like you in every way. Transform our hearts, we pray. 